My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Valerie Smith and Jerem Sawatsky. The skills and critical insights that we need to build a world that is peaceful and just don't come from nowhere. We have to learn and develop them. Not only are there a lot of different visions of what exactly it is that we're aiming for, but there are a lot of different approaches to catalyzing the kinds of learning and reflection that might help us get there. One approach is to leverage institutional, for instance university, resources to do it. At the Canadian Mennonite University in Winnipeg, they have drawn on their institution's large and established academic program in peace and conflict studies, along with the long attention to questions of peace and justice in their faith tradition, to produce an annual institute called the Canadian School of Peacebuilding, which draws people from a broad range of places and backgrounds, not only from Canada but from around the world, not only Mennonites but people of a wide range of faiths, philosophies, and worldviews, for intensive five-day courses each June. Smith and Sawatsky are co-directors of the school, and they talk with me about how it came to be, about how it works, and about how it is one small piece of building a more just and peaceful world. I spoke with them by Skype to phone from Winnipeg. My name is Jerem Sawatsky. I am an associate professor in Peace and Conflict Transformation Studies at CMU, and I am also the co-director of the Canadian School of Peacebuilding. And I am Valerie Smith, and I am the other co-director of the Canadian School of Peacebuilding. The Canadian School of Peacebuilding started six years ago, and it brings peacebuilders from around the world both to teach and to take classes in the summertime every June in Winnipeg. And so for two or three weeks, the world kind of comes to our uh, doorstep and we build a community of dissimilar peace builders from different faith traditions, different countries and different backgrounds. And they live in community together, learning and taking classes together. Some groups like the United Nations has particular distinctions between peacekeeping and peace building to try and define particular zones of activity. We use it in a, a broader umbrella. And so uh, every year we uh, bring in uh, Aboriginal uh, scholars and practitioners to teach about Aboriginal approaches to peace and justice. Ovid Mercury taught with us twice to talk about a Cree approach to nonviolence one year and great peace leaders another year. He taught a course on great peace leaders. So that's a, kind of a stream. And we also, every year, have a course on restorative justice or relating to restorative justice or peacemaking circles. And so that's more looking at after harms have happened, how do you respond in ways that build both justice and peace? We always have something related to arts approaches to peace building, either choirs or theater. Last year, we had a professor who was a son of Holocaust survivors. And he has discovered theater as a tool for working at 
collective traumatization. And so trauma is another topic that we cover. So we use that as a really large umbrella to get at issues of peace and development and justice and conflict. There are several peace-building schools kind of like this in different parts of the world, nothing in Canada. In uh, Virginia at Eastern Mennonite University, I did my master's down there, and they had the main one in the States, and it's called the Summer Peace Building Institute. And it was such an incredible experience that when I finished my master's degree, I talked with them about starting a Canadian version of it. So we're not affiliated with them in any way, but their school has been part of a, a network. And you can see what happens when hundreds of peace builders come together for intense times to learn from each other. So just seeing that in action, I came back and at the time, we thought it would be a lot easier to get people into Canada than into the States. A lot of that has changed since 9-11, so we struggle with some visa issues. But there's a real significant interest to come from people around the world to Canada to learn about it. So we recruited Valerie to help us envision what this could be and figure out how we can put it together. She had done some peace work with MCC and worked with other organizations. So Val and I formed the initial stages of it. We have a very small staff. Jerem and I both work part-time to run the school, and then most years we hire a student intern or a program assistant and uh, maybe bring one more person on during the school to help us run things there. We're part of the Canadian Mennonite University, and so we're an institute of that and plug into many of those structures in many ways. We do have an advisory council, which includes faculty and staff from our university and also some external members to help guide our vision and think through the big questions of what we should be doing. We wanted this to be a place that is welcoming to a really diverse group of people, people from all generations, professions, levels of experience, space, countries. We want it to be a place where people can learn from each other and with each other. We want it to be a place where people can connect with other peace builders. Peace building can often be lonely and tiring work, and so we often come back to the image of an oasis for this place, where people come and they gather and they're renewed and they leave with new ideas and new energy for their work of peace building. And I think over these years, we've been convinced that that's the way that this institution can serve. And so we just try to grow that. I think I would add one of the pieces at the center is trying to deeply serve the needs of others. And we have some ideas of what those needs are, or in some cases should be. But the reality is when people are faced with surprising situations, we just can't always anticipate their needs. So part of the model that we've been developing is every two years we do a detailed survey asking anyone who's applied in the past, our network of engaged peace builders, people that have participated in the past to say, what are the topics that would most significantly meet your needs in the field? And on the other side of the question, if we could bring in anybody in the world to train you, who would you like us to bring in? And that's been a fantastic 
way of rather than having us dictate the content and even the teaching faculty, that curiosity about the needs of the other leads to them forming who we are and what we become. Tell me more about the people that attend the school. They are such a diverse and interesting group of people. And every summer when we meet these people, I am just amazed that this group of people has chosen to come and spend a week with us. For a lot of people, it's a significant financial cost or it means taking time off work or away from kids. And it's amazing to see who makes that effort. We have university students from here at CMU, but also from across Canada and even from the U.S. We have had people who have taught in school and then come back as students and vice versa. We've had international peace workers come from many countries around the world. We've had stay-at-home moms and nurses and teachers and farmers and retirees. And the level of experience from people who have decades of experience come to take a class with somebody they admire to people who are curious and studying this for the very first time. And that diversity seems to work really well. People come very open to engaging with each other and learning from one another. And so it's a rich classroom experience. I think we realized very early on that we needed to have high-quality, engaging instructors, but initially we underestimated the power of the community, of the participants, and how much they add to the community. And every year we're just astounded at the interesting and diverse and fun people that come to spend a week or two with us. And who have some of the trainers and instructors been? Well, in uh, restorative justice, we've had Howard there, who's one of, sometimes people say, one of the founders of the restorative justice movement. He came and trained for a week. Kay Pranis co-wrote a book with two Canadians, From Crime to Community, was the subtitle, looking at peacemaking circles. And so she came and taught. Judge Barry Stewart from the Yukon came and taught. There have been peace builders from Africa. The very first year, in fact, one of the Truth and Reconciliation Commissioners from South Africa came and taught a class. And that was very interesting because he arrived just as Canada was announcing Murray Sinclair as the chief commissioner for the Canadian TRC. So we were able to get the two of them together. And in fact, that whole class that Pete Maring, the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commissioner, that whole class wrote a letter to the Canadian commissioners based on what they had learned from the South Africa experience. And we were able to get together another time with Murray Sinclair to deliver that note of the submission from the students in that class. Jewish peace builders doing work in Syria came and taught a course. Rabbi Mark Gopin taught a course with us. Buddhist Weipon from Thailand, working with women's movements for peace and justice in Thailand and connected with the International Network for Engaged Buddhists. She came one year and is coming back again, not this summer, but the following summer to teach. So there's been a real wide variety of people from different backgrounds. And we also bring our own faculty. We want this to be a place where we draw some of the best instructors from around the world, but we also showcase some of the talent we have at our own university. So somebody like Karen Ridd has taught three times already with us. 
and she's fantastic, and people just perk up when they hear her name. So she's as much of a draw as some of these international instructors. And tell me more about the different kinds of curriculum that fill the school. All of our courses are available for undergraduate academic credit, and they are all also available for training. So that could be personal interest or professional development. So all of the courses are available that way. Each course is a five-day course and runs from Monday morning to Friday afternoon. And the class has most of that time together. They tend to be interactive classes. I don't think there's a single class where you just sit and listen to lectures all day. Activities that have included field trips to the Truth and Reconciliation or to farms. They've included art projects, singing, small group work. There's a whole variety of ways that the teachers engage the students. So it's a mix of both theory and practice. I think the people that have come have been, on average, half for credit. So students in some kind of a university program, usually from North America, and then half for personal or professional development. So you get a mix, kind of an unusual mix of people. It doesn't feel like a normal university classroom. It's more like you're learning side by side with peace builders from around the world. So it's actually a really interesting setting. And some of the students, you know, relationships get built. And one of the students from here in Winnipeg at our campus at the University of Winnipeg went to Thailand to connect with an organization that was represented in the class that she took. So I think our original idea was that everybody comes, everybody gets equipped and inspired, hopefully, and then goes back home and applies what they've learned. But actually what's happening is something a little bit different, that we're starting to see these connections. Sometimes I think of it as a dating service. (laughs) You know, people are making connections with organizations and with other cultures and other countries that we hadn't anticipated at all, but it's one of the fruit of, of the place. To give some examples from this year, this last weekend we just had the last national event of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, so each year we've had a different course related to that. We're at a Christian university. Here we have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission related to something where Christians were involved in causing harm in that setting. So we've tried to take opportunities to look, you know, at ourselves. So there's a class called Decolonial Theology by an Indigenous person, and it connects with, in Canada, there's some really interesting Indigenous people doing theology, but doing theology differently. And so he's looking at drawing on that. We've got a woman coming up from the States, Elaine Zuckbarge, to teach a class on strategies for trauma awareness and resilience. After September 11th happened, the Church World Service in the States said, how do we respond to this huge disaster? And they asked some people at Eastern Mennonite University to set up a trauma course for faith-based leaders from different traditions. And so they've been working at how do you train people to do trauma work within their own communities. So we're bringing her up to teach Rupert Ross, who's a Crown Attorney 
now retired but from Ontario, is teaching a course on exploring Indigenous justice and healing. We're bringing up a guy from the States to teach a course on food and faith and living in God's creation. We just saw the latest report from the United Nations, the scientist that works with the United Nations on global warming and how we relate to the land both has a possibility for violence, but also a possibility for peace. And so we're looking at how do we think through those things. We're also bringing in a peace builder from Kenya, Babu Ayundo. He's done some really interesting work in Kenya, but also in northern Uganda, where you have the Lord's Resistance Army coming out of the long war that they've had in Uganda. And he's been working with arts approaches to community peace building with some of these warriors that have been stealing children and training them to be child soldiers. They're trying to work at transition issues from soldier to civilian or to part of the community. So Babu's, he founded a youth theater company using theater of the oppressed in Kenya. So like he applies some of the stuff with youth, but he also works sometimes contracted with the United Nations working in places like Uganda. So he's going to come and share and engage people with his background. The school... Uh, is institutionally situated in an institution that's part of a specific faith tradition, but has a real commitment to creating interfaith or multi-faith community. Tell me a little bit about the school's approach to doing that, to thinking about that. Well, we certainly are part of a Mennonite university, and our Mennonite faith has a long tradition in Mennonite history and informs a lot of what we do. And so, In the school, we don't apologize for that, but we try to be aware of and sensitive to and welcoming to people who come from other faith traditions, very much believing that when we build relationships across things that have been traditional divisions, when we learn other perspectives, we are all richer and we're all working towards peace. Yeah, I think in the past, sometimes our faith traditions we've used to limit our curiosity. And so if we assume we already have the answer, we're not all that curious about what other people are doing. But building on what Valerie said before of being a place that's an oasis of peace for differently located peace builders, we want to create a space where people are encouraged to draw on their traditions, encouraged to draw on their culture, and encouraged to be positively curious about the other. So we've tried to model that with the teaching faculty that we've invited over time, and also to model that with the people that we invite. And another thing that seems to have emerged from the things that you've talked about so far is a commitment to engaging with Indigenous peoples and Indigenous issues Tell me a little bit about the practices of that and the thinking underlying why it's important for a school of peacebuilding to do that. Well, we are the Canadian School of Peacebuilding and we're located in this particular place. We are situated on land that was part of a treaty. We're part of these systems. And so if we want to be a school of peacebuilding with any integrity, we feel that we need to work hard at the issues where 
we have been part of unjust systems and where we have not been peace builders and try and and correct those and learn from those and get to know those that we haven't always been good to. And so in this place, that means Canadian Aboriginal people. And so we want to hear from Aboriginal instructors. And so we try to make sure we have at least one course every year that focuses on that. And we also want to try and draw participants from the Aboriginal community so that they're part of what we're doing. And we, we have had some success with that, but we'd like to grow that so that there were more Aboriginal voices in our community as we're engaging on these issues and learning how to be better peace builders in our own place. I lived for a period of time in the city of Hamilton, Ontario, and I was sort of in the periphery of the School of Peace Studies at the university there, going to events and so on, and knowing a number of the people and hearing some of the issues that were discussed in that context. And one of the ones that seemed to recur in different ways was different ways of thinking about the relationship between peace and justice and that there were certainly instances where those two were in synergy, but there were others where it seemed like they were competing imperatives. Tell me about some of the ways that that issue gets talked about and dealt with in the work that the School of Peacebuilding does. There's a tendency among some peace workers to imagine the future and say, let's imagine a time when we're all living well together and then let's figure out how we can get there from where we are now. And sometimes justice workers are characterized as being more rooted, not in the future, but in the past. You know, where has our story been deeply interrupted and how do we address those traumas that happened to us or those traumas that we did to others? And so often there's a different time horizon between peace and justice, but the more I uh, we've looked at these things, the less those distinctions seem to hold and the blurring of doing, sometimes we even call it just peace, you know, that those things need each other for there to be expressions. You know, what good is peace if, if the underlying structures and history is all full of injustice? What we want to do is go further and deeper and create something more beautiful than that. And so we've learned this partly from listening to our Aboriginal friends and also from those working in restorative justice that we don't need to choose justice first or peace first or healing later, but rather we can blur those all together and say, how do we behave in a healing way now and put into practice decisions now that will be good for seven generations. So we can blur those distinctions and even the time horizon. And I think Jira mentioned before that we see peace building as a very broad umbrella and so that peace and justice both fit under there so that we offer courses that include trauma healing, that include restorative justice as a way of resolving harms, but also something like nonviolent action, which is nonviolent and peaceful in that sense, but is working in a disruptive way to bring about justice. We look at the history of peace and justice. We'd offered a course on Mennonite approaches to peace and justice. So we very much think those go hand in hand and try to offer courses that touch on all the various pieces of that very big umbrella. Maybe to build on that, we tend to like troublemakers. 
sometimes maybe Mennonites in general have a, a reputation of being, you know, peaceful in the land or of being nice. But we're learning that conflict is really important and that we need it. And in some cases, increasing conflict is the right peace-building response. And so some of our instructors have been people that have been troublemakers in the past. Not that they're organizing for violence, but that they are organizing to destabilize with nonviolent action and bring awareness to conflicts that are being ignored. What do you see in terms of the future of the school? What are the ways that you want it to continue to grow and build on its work so far? I think we're just so far scratching the surface. We've developed a model that works quite well, but there's lots of different possibilities. One area that we need help in is we have these people that apply from 30 different countries to come, but a lot of them can't get visas or can't get the finances together. So scholarship funds is one thing that we need to do. But we've also been talking, you know, our current model is moving all the the participants here. Is there a way of moving the teachers? Is there a way of using Skype to bring together people that can't get together? We are just in the process of editing a book of all of past instructors at the School of Peace Building with the idea that obviously the number of people that can make it out here in June although some of our courses are full, it's just a tiny group. How do we take those seeds and plant them other places? A book will be one way of trying to share those stories. We've started developing a number of videos and sharing them free on our website of participants and instructors talking about their courses to try and seed some of the stories of peace. I think we've developed over the years, a large infrastructure and preparedness for, like we figured out how to invest in military preparedness, but we haven't given an equal investment in how do we prepare for peace. And we're starting now to develop relationships with organizations to say, what if we were to do your staff training for you, your professional development for your existing network? So rather than us creating our own networks, how do we partner so that we're able to do that work together? And I think everybody's used to doing personal development or professional development in your own organization. But it's when you do that in front of the presence of others that you don't know from different traditions and different countries, that changes something, and it opens up new possibilities that we couldn't have got to on our own. So it's kind of the cross-fertilization stuff that we need to continue to build on. You have been listening to my interview with Valerie Smith and Jerem Sawatsky, the co-directors of the Canadian School of Peacebuilding in Winnipeg. To learn more about their work, go to csop.cmu.ca. That's csop.cmu.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.